Today we're going to talk, speaking of grannies, we're going to talk about a foundational fact. And here it is, okay? God has no grandchildren. God, our God, the God of the universe, has no grandchildren. Meaning this, we all individually before our God need to become sons and daughters. You can't get it from your mom or dad. I don't care how godly, I don't care how much they love Jesus, you can't, you can't get salvation from grandma or grandpa. Uh, each of us must come to Christ on our own personal relationship and faith with Jesus Christ. God has no grandkids. We must own our faith personally. We must believe the gospel for ourselves. We all must receive and welcome the gospel into our lives. That was true for our parents. That was true for our grandparents. And that's true for us as well. You personally must come into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not family heritage that provides salvation. Salvation is only available when I, when you personally, individually, open the door of your life and invite Jesus in by faith. That's where salvation is found. Okay? The reason we say that so strongly is today we're going to see a man with maybe the best pedigree in all of the Bible. One of the best, anyway, for sure. Okay? We're going to see today the grandson of the great lawgiver. Great lawgiver is who? Moses. Thank you, Henry. He was the son of Gershom, who was the son of Moses. Judges 18.30. So, so in other words, today we're going to talk specifically about Moses' grandson, uh, this young man who had a front row to some amazing God awesome acts in delivering Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Now just think, he, he either saw or heard about firsthand the ten plagues. So sitting on grandpa's knee or hearing it from his dad, he heard about the plagues. He heard firsthand about the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, Jonathan heard or saw firsthand the fire at night, the pillar of cloud leading them for 40 years. Uh, Jonathan saw the feeding of the masses with quail and manna and the water out of the rock. Uh, he either saw firsthand or, or heard about it from grandma and dad the Jericho walls falling down. He saw that and heard that firsthand. I'm telling you, this guy was like on the front seat of some amazing history. He really was. And even though Jonathan had this amazing lineage, this wonderful ancestry, here's the sad truth we're going to see today. Moses' grandson, Jonathan, he really could care less about the words that his grandfather delivered to his chosen people. Jonathan lived like he was at a breakfast buffet. How many of you like 
breakfast buffets. Can I see your hands? Anybody? Yeah? Okay, I got both hands. I really like. But when you're at a breakfast buffet, you get to pick and choose. Uh, I think I'll have some eggs. Uh, I think I'll have some toast. Uh, no potatoes, okay? I, I think I'll have some pancakes and some syrup. I'll have some coffee. I'm going to skip the orange juice. Do you understand? Th- that's the idea here. Jonathan picked and chose what laws he was going to follow. And he, he said, I'm going to obey these laws, but I'm going to ignore these. He, he literally creates his own religion. He kind of sets up his own rules, and he lived exactly whatever way worked for him at the time. Moses' grandson lived just like Judges 2.10 says. I'll put that up here. Uh, J- Judges 2.10 says, After that generation died, Moses' generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he'd done for Israel. Short memories. They didn't remember what awesome things God had done. God has no grandchildren. He doesn't. We're we're each going to have to become sons and daughters individually, personally. We have to make that choice. If you're able, would you stand up with me? Let's read Judges 17, verses 1 through 6. Very interesting time in the time of the judges. Verses 1 through 6, read out loud God's word with me. Here we go. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her, and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord in honor of my son. I will have an image carved and an idol cast. So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up a shrine for the idol, and he made a sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we need your help today. Because we're going to talk about a really strange time in Israel. A time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And uh, Lord, we need to see what you thought about that. We need to see today exactly how that affected your chosen people. And Lord, more importantly, we need to see how it will affect us if we choose to live this way. We welcome you. Take charge today in your church. Fill this place, Lord, I'm asking, with the power of your spirit and the power of your word. Lord, would you put a guard over these weak and goofy lips? (laughs) We're ready to do business with you. 
And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one listening voice, you can be seated. Judges 17, 6. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. The last five chapters of Judges, we've been kind of soaring above looking at specific events, but now the last five chapters of Judges, it's kind of ground view. We're going to get down in the nitty-gritty of what it's like when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. First of all, what's interesting, these last five chapters, almost no mentions of Jehovah God. Okay? Because when you're doing what's right in your own eyes, you, you don't even have to think or talk about what the Lord thinks. This is humanity living life without Jehovah God and without His book. Let's just make it up and do whatever's easy, whatever's convenient. Go back to the text with me. Talks about a man named Micah, a weak, wishy washy character. No morals. He sees some money in his mother's house and he steals that money. 1,100 coins of silver. He then overhears his mother placing a curse on whoever stole her silver. Uh, Micah is now afraid of his mother's curse. So he comes and he confesses, Hey, Mom... I stole your money, and he gives her the money back. Understand? His mother says, oh, so nice of you, Micah, thank you. I forgive you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to erect an idol in your honor for being such a nice boy. Micah 17.4. Okay? You see what's going on? Okay? Micah and his mother claim to be followers of Jehovah God. They claim, we would say, they claim to be Christians. They claim to be believers in the Lord, but Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, and Deuteronomy 4, 15 to 17, clearly command no carved images, no idols ever allowed. There's, there's no wiggle room, okay? But, remember... They're, they're going to pick and choose. They're at the breakfast buffet. Uh, well, we want to do something religious. We want to do something nice for my son. Honor him long term. So I'm going to pick and choose what commands I follow and obey. In Judges 17, 7, a young man named John shows up at Micah's house. And now Micah, the man who has no principles... He's already put one of his sons in charge of being his own personal priest. Now he's going to hire Jonathan. Look at verse 7. Here we go. Uh, where am I at? Verse 7. Yes, here we go. So the five men went on to the town of Laish, uh, where they noticed the people living carefree like the Sidoans. Is Am I in the right spot here? No, I'm not. Back up. Here we go. 
One day, I should just read with the screen. Yeah, that's way easier. <laughs> a young Levite who'd been living in Bethlehem in Judah arrived in that area. Thank you, Dan. Uh, he had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Stay here with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me. I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. <laughs> wow. Micah really likes the fact that he's got a real live Levite on property who can perform priestly duties. And why does he need a personal priest? Look at verse 13. I just read it. Because now God's going to like me better. I got, I got my own priest. And he's going to watch out for me. And he's going to be my, my lucky charm. And God will bless me because I have a priest. He believes he can get from God whatever he wants because he's got now this unnamed priest. Micah was all about getting God to serve Micah. Did you catch that? I, I want you, God, to serve me. Biblical Christianity is learning to know God so we can serve him, his way. See the difference? Religion is reducing God to someone who can be controlled. Biblical Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ where I yield and I surrender and we surrender our lives and our plans to his purposes. See the difference? It's not I want you to serve me, it's I yield and I serve you according to your word, according to your terms. Okay? That's Act chapter 1. Now, God has no grandchildren Act chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. Here's what it says. Now in those days Israel had no king, and the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle, for they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them when the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. Here's my question. Why didn't the tribe of Dan have any land? Why were they still a hundred years later? Why was Dan still searching for a land to inhabit? And if you go way back to chapter 1, you can turn there if you want. But the answer is verse 34, Judges 1. As for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hill country and would not let them come down into the plains. Dan was unwilling to fight for their God-given inheritance. That's what happened. They wouldn't fight, so they just ran away, lived up in the hills, so they were forced to live in the mountains for a hundred plus years. Dan is miserable. They're discontent. The tribe of Dan 
didn't have enough faith to believe and trust in God for their inheritance. So now the tribe of Dan is searching for an easier place to settle in. Do you understand? God's, we're going to have to deal with the Amorites. We still aren't willing to do it God's way. So they're on the search looking for an easier place and they just happen by Micah's house. Look at verse 2. Matthew, uh, Mike, excuse me, Judges 18. So, the men of Dan chose from their clans five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Eshtol to scout out a land for them to settle in. When these warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, they came to Micah's house and spent the night there. While at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite's accent. So they went over and asked him, who, who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them about his agreement with Micah and that he had been hired as Micah's personal priest. Then they asked him, uh, ask God whether or not your journey will be successful. Verse 6, go in peace, the priest replied, for the Lord is watching over your journey. Okay? Catch this. The men of Dan, the tribe of Dan, seek out Micah's fake priest, and they ask the fake priest, uh, the Levite priest, whether their journey is going to be good. Is God going to bless our journey? We're looking for a new land. Tell us. And the Levite fake priest says, Yep, God's blessing is on you. Go ahead. It's going to be amazing. Keep going. This is God's will for your life. Okay? Back to the text. Verse 7. So the five men went on to the town of Laish, where they noticed the people living carefree lives, just like the Sidoans. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile. And they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. When the men returned to Zorah and Eshtol, their relatives asked, What did you find? The men replied, Come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land. It's very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate to go and take possession of it. When you get there, you'll find the people living carefree lives. God's given us a spacious and fertile land lacking in nothing. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Okay, let's just uh, review what, what I just read. The spies go back to the tribe of Dan with good news. The Lord has given us this amazing city. It's rich. It's fertile. Let's go attack it. Let's make it our new area where we'll settle in. This will be our new inheritance. But before we go, let, let's first stop by Micah's house. Let, let's go back and make sure the fake priest still says we're going to be okay. Okay? Let, let's make sure. Verse 14, the five men who'd scout out the land around Laish explained to the others, these buildings, Micah's house, contain a sacred ephod as well as some household idols, a carved image, and a cast idol. What do you think you should do? Then the five men turned off the road, went to Micah's house, 
where the young Levite lived and greeted him kindly. As the 600 warriors, armed warriors, from the tribe of Dan stood in the entrance of the gate, the five scouts entered the shrine, removed the carved image, the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the cast idol. Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with 600 armed warriors. When the priest saw the men carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, "Uh, Hey, what are you doing? Be quiet and come with us, they said. Be a father and priest to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest for the entire tribe and clan of Israel than for a household of just one man? The young man was quite happy to go with them. So he took along the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the carved image. They turned and started on their way again, placing their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. Okay? This young Levite who claims to speak for God, okay, he claims to be God's spokesman, steals Micah's idols and ephod, and now he's heading out to Laish with the 600 warriors from Dan. He was working for Micah, but now he's switched teams, and now he's the priest for the tribe of Dan. Understand the story so far? Okay. Micah finds out they've stolen his religious charms. Slide down with me. So Micah runs up and catches up with the warriors. Verse 24, look what he says. You've stolen all my frosted good luck charms. What do you do in verse 25? Here's what the 600 warriors say. You better shut your mouth or we're just going to kill you, Micah. You better be quiet and quit complaining or, Micah, you're a dead man. Verse 26 Micah looks around, sees out, he's outnumbered, he heads back home. Verse 27, so the 600 warriors and Micah's idols and all of his lucky charms and ephod head, and now they've got the priest at their side named John. Verse 28, they attack the town of Laish, they kill everybody in the town of Laish, and they burn it to the ground. Laish is in the middle of nowhere. They got no friends. They got nobody to come to their defense, no allies. So, verse 29, the tribe of Dan is victorious. Okay? They renamed the town. It was Laish. Now it's the town of Dan. They live outside the land of promise. They settle for much less than God's best. They don't listen to God's word or God's promises to them, they slaughter and destroy an innocent city. Why? It was the easy way. This is way easier. We're going to do it the easy way. Look at verses 30 and 31. This is how this chapter ends. Then they set up the carved image, and they appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. Okay? Up to this point, the priest wasn't named. Who was the priest? Who was on Micah's team, switch teams, and now is uh, Dan's priest? He is Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses. 
This family continued as priests for the tribe of Dan until the exile. So Micah's carved image was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle of God remained in Shiloh. Give me your eyes. This disobedient Levite who compromised everything, switched teams, claimed to speak for God, was really about looking out for me, looking out for himself. His own selfish interest is what always leads Moses' grandson. God has no grandchildren. All of us, even those of us who are born to godly, Jesus-loving moms and dads, even those of us who have a great heritage, maybe grandpa was a preacher, and maybe great-grandpa was a godly man. I'm telling you, God has no grandkids. All of us must come to faith personally to know Jesus Christ. Here's how commentator scholar Don Carson puts it. I like this. He says, one generation knows the gospel. The next generation assumes the gospel. And the third generation loses the gospel. It's a little sobering, is it not? One generation knows the gospel. We don't have that slide. The next generation assumes the gospel and the third generation loses the gospel. Okay? We lost the slide, but we didn't lose the idea, right? Okay. Moses knew the Lord personally. Gershom, his son, assumed he knew the Lord. And Jonathan, the grandson, lost his way with the Lord. So here's our, our final challenge. What, what do we learn from this? What should be the takeaway as we look at this wild and crazy couple chapters? Okay, What, what should we learn from Judges 17 and 18 where everybody does what's right in their own eyes and pretty much neglects and ignores God's word? Okay? Here's the first takeaway. You might want to write this down. Okay? While the tribe of Dan seemed to be successful in their scheme, okay, we need a place to settle. We need an inheritance. They steal the city of Laish, and it looks like they won. They did it the easy way. The future of Dan is not so bright. When, when the book of Chronicles numbers the tribes of Israel in First Chronicles chapters 2 to 7, listen close, there's no mention of the tribe of Dan. No mention of the tribe of Dan. Okay? Either they were wiped out by another army or they were so absorbed into the culture that there was no longer a tribe left. We're not sure what happened, but when they talk about the tribes of Israel, Dan failed to survive. Okay? Jehovah God had given them exactly what the other tribes, and they failed to take it, and they lost everything. Now that's bad, but if you go to the book of Revelation, it's even worse. In Revelation chapter 7, 
verses 5 to 8. God's talking in, in Revelation about the new heaven and the new earth, and there's 144,000. You probably heard of that. Revelation 7, 5 to 8. He lists tribes of Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levin, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, all listed by name. Guess who's missing? Who? No, no Dan. <laughs> the tribe of Dan refused to take the land God gave them, so God refuses to give Dan any portion in the ultimate land of promise, the new heaven and the new earth. Can I say strongly? Dan is the biggest loser by far. Nothing. They, they completely go away. No mention of Dan, either in the Old Testament or in the land of promise, the new heaven, the new earth. Second takeaway. Here we go. To obey God takes faith and effort. To obey God means I'm not going to just do it the easy way. I'm going to do it God's way. It's far easier to construct a religion, to construct a God who always agrees with you. That's way easier. Um, I don't have to change. I don't have to adjust. I'm just going to make the rules that line up with me. And I will always be the example of what a true believer looks like because I constructed it in my image. I'm telling you, 2023, constantly hear people, well, my God isn't like that. And then they talk about a God who has nothing to do with God's word, but they say, my God is like this. I believe all religions contain truth and all religions lead to ultimately heaven and you say can you show me that in the book well I made it up I like to think of God like and then they talk about a God you go where is that in God's instruction manual well that's not what I this is my God I know the Bible says it's wrong but I prayed about it and I have a peace about it Really, you're going to go exactly against what God's Word says. Listen close. We don't get to define the true and living God. The true and living God defines us. Understand? So we don't get to just make stuff up and do opinion polls. The God of the universe has revealed Himself to us through His inspired Word and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He is the one who defines us. We don't get to define him. Micah and his mother were just making stuff up. Let's make an idol. Let, let's make my son carve an image out of silver. Let, let's make one of Micah's sons a priest. Um, let, let's hire this Levite. Oh, he looks good. And he knows some stuff about religion. He'll be our family priest. And the tribe of Dan was doing the very same thing. They were just making stuff up. Let's hire a fake priest. Let's steal all their idols and their images. 
Let's find a rich city that can't defend themselves. Let's go wipe it out and loot and pillage. We'll move our tribe and rename the city and we'll call this the promised land. (laughs) We're just going to make it up. And now we're going to stay here and we're going to have our own temple and our own shrine and our own idols and we don't even need to go to Shiloh and worship like everybody else. This is the easy way. This is fun. We, we can just do it our way. This is build your own religion however you feel like. It's worship however it works best for me. It's pretending I'm religious, but I'm actually doing it my way. Third and final takeaway, Judges 17 and 18. Two things our top priority, okay? First is this, okay? Since God has no grandchildren, do you know Jesus personally? (laughs) Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You and I have to make sure that Jesus is alive. We need to test what's going on. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. See if it's genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you if you've not failed the test of genuine faith. So, here's my question. Is there solid evidence that Jesus and His Spirit are in you? That's the test. Is Jesus alive? Do you see fruit? Is is there evidence that Jesus is working and moving in your life? Otherwise, you're failing the test. When, When we say to Jesus, without you, what else do I have? Jesus, you're my everything. If you know that Jesus is all you have, we discover that Jesus is all we need. It's all we need. Second priority, okay? This is huge. God has no grandchildren, which means your loved ones cannot gain eternal life by holding on to the coattails of your faith in Jesus. Wouldn't it be great, Grandma, Grandpa, Mom, Dad, if your faith could get salvation for your children and your grandchildren? And I'm just telling you, Biblically, that's not how it works. Everyone must personally know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You can't save our children, our grandchildren, our parents, brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors, or co-workers. Why? Because each of us must personally say yes to Jesus. All of us individually must say, Jesus, I open the door of my life and I welcome you in by faith. Come on in and save me. Everything about me. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Here's what it says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. Verse 23. 
but I'm going to reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I never knew you. Micah and his mother were spiritual people. I believe that. Jonathan, grandson of Moses, very religious man. The tribe of Dan, they built idols and shrines and made sacrifices. I believe all of those people were sincere people. And they were sincerely wrong. They didn't line their lives up with God's word. And Jesus will say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. I never knew you. You never knew me, and I never knew you. God has no grandchildren. (laughs) Even, Even those grandchildren who have the back of their grandfather Moses, I'm sorry, but the Lord's going to say, no, no, I don't have any grandchildren. You personally must say yes and welcome me in and choose to do it my way. Matthew 7 and we're done. 13 and 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad And its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few find it. God has no grandkids. Are you on the wide road (laughs) that leads to destruction and hell? Or are you on the narrow road that's through Jesus and personally knowing him and welcoming him. Are, are you on the broad road or are you on the narrow road? There, there's no in-between road. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, we're, uh, we're listening. We pause now. And we recognize that there is a wide road, a broad road that leads to destruction and hell. And there's also a narrow road that leads to eternal life. Would you make yourself clear where each of us are at? We ask. We don't want to be surprised like those folks were in the Gospel of Matthew. Shocked. Lord, we want to know now so we can get on the narrow road. I'm going to close by doing something a little different. Can you handle different? Okay. For some of you, this is your first time. Maybe you've said yes and gotten on the nail road a long time ago. So this is just reaffirming your faith in Christ. So I'd like everybody, everybody here, everybody, If you're watching online, I challenge you, say it out loud with me. Repeat after me, Jesus, I believe you took my place on the cross. And Jesus, I believe that you shed your blood 
for my greatest problem in life. I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe you took my place in that borrowed tomb. And Jesus, I believe early Sunday morning you arose from the dead for me. And Jesus, right now by faith, I invite you into my life for keeps. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord and King. I welcome you, Jesus. Take charge right now. I choose to follow you. And if that was your first time, wow, praise Jesus. If you're online, hit that prayer button. If you're here in person, make your way over to the prayer corner. We want to celebrate with you. We want to get you going on the road to eternal life, get you going on your journey. Thank you, Jesus, for even a couple ugly chapters that show us how we don't want to live. Lord, uh, sometimes when we see stuff really dark, it makes you and your way shine even brighter. We love you. We're glad to have your book. We're glad to celebrate your son, Jesus. Help us to do that well even now as we close. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, let's stand and close as we worship Jesus. Mm -hmm.